Up next, 91 Ron petrol, which is roughly 87 gasoline, America. 91 Ron versus your engine. Like, is it a good idea or not? And orbiting this, the questionable advice you might get from the dude at your local friendly service department. Advice, probably the wrong word for something with such a distinctive smell. John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that's up there now, dude. As the aspiring starlet said so famously to her spiritual advisor, let us dive straight in. Shall we? My understanding, my Stinger GT tells me it will take Ron 91. End of discussion. There is no need, discernible benefit or requirement to use anything higher. There is potentially an argument for using it in the height of summer. That's about it. Is it all to do with compression ratios, flash points and premature banging from squeezing? Stumpy, dude, I don't even think the hot summer's day claim stacks up. Like... Octane rating, just going back to basics here, is merely a comparative standardised index of the fuel's resistance to auto-ignition, uncontrolled combustion, deflagration, whatever you want to call it. In other words, fuel needs to bang on command and then blow after the Goldilocks amount of sucking and squeezing. And I think we can all relate to that. Like, going back to first principles, okay? Suck, squeeze, bang, and blow. That's how a four-stroke internal combustion engine rolls. 50 times per second per cylinder at 6,000 RPM, which is just this side of a flat-out miracle, if you ask me. And the timing of any bang in that sequence is crucial. <laughs> I think you'd agree. Any suggestion whatsoever that there's more energy or a hotter burn or a colder burn or greater volatility, whatever, with high octane fuel, that is just an advertisement that the person claiming this kind of thing never actually studied. Octane is all about resistance to banging prematurely. And the only caveat I would inject here is that high octane fuels tend to be slightly denser than the low octane ones. So there's a little bit more energy per unit of volume, okay? If the car maker says the engine's going to run on 91 safely, then hey, it will. If they say use 95 Ron minimum, as they do with many Eurospec cars, then you've got to do that. You can run a higher octane fuel than the manufacturer recommends without any kind of penalty, like a physical penalty. But you can't do it the other way around, okay? It's that simple. There's a small performance or economy benefit to using higher octane fuels, but you don't get both of those benefits at the same time because it's not friggin' magic, dude. Just realise that it's usually not economically rational to use a higher octane fuel than you need. Stumpy went on, and then the smell got worse. Latest discussion with Kia Service Dude. The car will accept RON91 and is absolutely fine to use. However, 
the car has variable valve timing, injector timing, and other compounding voodoo magic, which means the use of RON98 will have a noticeable benefit in performance and fuel economy. Yeah, kind of. And it's got a turbo, like two with the V6 actually, and uh, knock sensors and a math sensor and oxygen sensors and all kinds of frigging sensors. And I'm moved to ask, so what? Like, you might convince yourself that your car goes substantially better on 98, but I'd suggest that that's just called confirmation bias. The higher price tag is offset by those benefits, and not to mention the lower sulfur content of the RON98 means it is better for your engine long term. RON91 will make the variable components vary a lot more often than the more stable and higher flashpoint RON98, which again is better for the engine's moving parts long term. I apologise in advance if this is a broken record question. I am only asking due to this advice contradicting my understanding, which I thought was simple and clear-cut even for modern ices. So it seems there's a Himalaya of horse shit to unpack here, so let's get about it. Low-hanging fruit first, okay? Quote, more stable and higher flashpoint RON98. Like, what's unstable about either? And Flashpoint, it's a temperature, dude. Flashpoint is the lowest temperature at which the fuel will evaporate into a combustible mixture in air and start burning if you apply an ignition source. That's all Flashpoint is. And petrol, all petrol, incidentally, is a highly enthusiastic low temperature evaporator. Petrol really is the girl who can't say no when it comes to evaporating and going off. All petrol has a flash point of roughly minus 40 degrees C, which coincidentally is about minus 40 F, I think, owing to the zero points being offset by 32 degrees F. So I fail to see how the flash point impacts a fuel's operation in a car. You've mentioned it twice, dude, come on, Stumpy. Volatility, yeah. Auto ignition temperature, yeah. Activation energy, yeah. Density, yeah. Latent heat of vaporization, yeah. Flashpoint, not so much, dude, come on. Flashpoint is far more relevant to things like safe storage protocols and firefighting than to any actual in-engine combustion dynamics. Like, it's nice when the atomized fuel evaporates inside the chamber because that lowers the temperature, down there and it increases the density of the mixture, but 91 and 98 perform roughly the same at that. So unless the combustion chamber is colder than minus 40 degrees on either scale, flashpoint's not a factor. And pro tip, it's never that cold. Next, all these variable bits, okay? Variable valve timing, variable injector timing, variable ignition timing. There's hardly any moving parts, dude, and the ones that there are are not impacted on by different fuels. It's inconceivable that 91 is going to have a reliability or endurance impact on your engine. Variable valve timing, okay? For example, it's related exclusively to revs. More valve overlap at high revs and less at low revs. It makes the engine more tractable across a broader rev range. It gives you more power up high without sacrificing idle quality, for example. 
this is independent of the fuel, right? Combustion signals do not control variable valve timing. Revs do. That's what the computer looks for to make the decision to change the valve timing, okay? And injector timing. Injectors do their spurty little job. They turn themselves on once every two revs. There's a joke there, we're not doing it. Per cylinder, okay? They're tiny high-speed electrically controlled taps. Most of their job is just holding the high-pressure fuel rail back, okay? There's no real difference to an injector running on 91 or 98. It just opens and closes, squirting fuel into the friggin' chamber when the computer tells it to let go, okay? The injector doesn't give a shit what fuel it's delivering. It's just a delivery system. Variable ignition timing, which is also known as advance, right? Spark plugs fire in advance of the piston getting to top dead centre on the compression stroke. Or squeeze, as it is more technically known, in between suck and bang, okay? But somewhat distance from blow, if you paid attention earlier. On high octane fuel, the spark occurs further in advance of top dead centre than on lower octane fuels, okay? If the advance gets too big on any fuel, the engine is gonna knock, which is also known as pinging, and that's bad because if it does it at the wrong time, like at high revs and high load, it can destroy your engine, melt pistons, burn through the top of pistons, and you know, then it's dogs and cats living together, isn't it? You know, doesn't work. This happens far too often, this pinging business, if you manage to use a fuel with an octane rating below the manufacturer's recommended minimum, okay? So just don't do that. But there is a whole detailed control system that just sits there and listens for knock and then dials the advance back into the safe zone continuously. And all you need to do to get this right is use the right minimum octane rating. Importantly, there are no moving parts in this ignition timing process. Like, ignition timing is completely computer controlled. There's no greater demand on any of these systems if you use 91 or 98. And the bottom line, these things that adapt inside your engine, they don't work any harder on 98 or 91. There's no operational impact there at all. Like, dude, we stopped using things like centrifugal weights in a distributor to manage the ignition advance decades ago. That's like Dickensian now. It's the Jurassic for your engine. Like, for a service dude to sell this horseshit to punters is irresponsible and uninformed from over the counter in a service department operating from some perceived sort of position of authority. In a minute, we'll talk about sulphur in the fuel and debunk that bullshit as well. But first, Wednesday's Olight Torch giveaway winners. Yes. We're giving away one Olight Warrior X Turbo, one Olight Baton 3, and one M2R Pro Warrior. They're all excellent torches, and you three lucky, lucky bastards coming up you're going to thank me when the streets are running hip-deep in zombies and you are low on ammo. You mark my words. Olight sale runs until midnight tonight, so there's still time. 20% off site-wide and other even more enticing specials if you click on the link in the description. And I guess if you miss the sale, there's a code for 12% off just for being a loyal auto-expert aficionado.
I would choose the Warrior X Turbo. I'm a safety officer and I work at night. I work for an energy company and I need a powerful torch for my technicians which are up on the power poles working with live wires. I need a bright light to help them see while they are working in darkness. This torch would help us tremendously. Nick, there's nothing I admire more than a man who is prepared to stand safely on the ground and shine his bright light up the skirt of a technician with his vegetables on the line, metaphorically way up on a fiberglass ladder juggling 132,000 volts in a Force 10 gale. Except, of course, boobies. I admire them even more, obviously. Man's only human. Well done, Nick. Warrior X Turbo on its way to you. Email me your deets, john at autoexpert.com.au and I will get Olight's people to talk to your people. It's that simple. I would use the flashlight to scare the roaches that come from my neighbours. Yeah, me too. I hate that. Freaking neighbours. Like... You finally get into the hot tub with Tiffany from next door after all those years of looking through the hole in the dividing fence and wondering, thank God for treated pine and all of those knots that dry out. Even though doing this is technically a violation of the Ten Commandments, well, you know, it's only one of them, but... But, hey, worth it. Finally in the hot tub, Tiffany leans back and elegantly just slumps and sighs suggestively and then cockroaches stream from every orifice like a friggin' torrent. The slap bass backing track stops in your head and suddenly you're in a deleted scene from Zombie Friggin' Nation. I hate that. I have that dream too. Unpronounceable fake name, dude, you get the baton three. You can deploy that in the hot tub without feeling in any way inadequate. That's a plus. Email me, john at autoexpert.com.au. Hi, John. I have a little problem. I keep blowing my bed socks off at night. That Prolite would solve that. One flash under the sheet, problem solved and... Back to sleep. Indeed, do I understand and empathise with the depth of this problem, Lilmont? Tiffany was just like that. Like, one knew one had done a better than half-decent job when the bed socks blew off, but finding them in the dark afterwards under pressure was a bastard. Especially if you were also hurrying to get dressed before, you know, heroing yourself out the window owing to the imminent return of Mr. Tiffany. Life is, of course, a subtle balancing act of conflicting priorities. And for more tips like this, visit my other website, lifebalanceexpert.com. Unless our boss and Paul run that one as well, and let's face it, they probably do. M2R Pro Warrior for you, Lilmont, just in case the window is jammed one day and you need a tactical diversion. Spark it up early, dude. And Tiffany can claim that you were merely an alien who came down to inquire about the probing. Email me your deets to streamline future sock search and rescue and Mr. Tiffany escape and evasion missions. And if you did not win in this fine competition, dude, tough shit, like I care. Buy one, you cheap bastard. Link in the description. What do you think I am? Made of friggin' O lights? Christ. <laughs>
Finally, this business about lower sulfur content being better for your engine over the long term. Like, yeah, exactly. Good thing we didn't step in that one either. Australia does have disgracefully high sulphur content, in particular in 91 Ron Petrol. And this is because the federal government keeps dropping its trousers and bending over, indelicately, for the fuel industry. Allegedly to keep local Schittsvillian refineries open, but let's face it, they keep dropping like flies anyway. We are absolutely a third world nation on fuel quality, and that is an objectively true and perfectly defensible statement. In fact, I suspect some third world nations might be better. This non-policy of ours leads to disgracefully high exhaust pollution levels compared with, say, Western Europe, and that should concern you if you live in a major Schittsvillian city, because exhaust pollution kills more people prematurely in Australia than car crashes, and certainly many more than have currently succumbed to COVID. We get our 91 with up to 150 disgraceful parts per million of sulphur, and the 95 and 98 Ron, like the high octane stuff, it comes with up to 50 parts per million. Overseas, the standard is 10. That's global best practice, right? Both of these standards that we currently have in play, the 150 and the 50, they were banned in Europe over a decade ago. So it's hard to give the government a pass on this. We are disgracefully dragging the chain. Our dipshit government has given the dying local refinery operators a free pass on all of this until about 2027 or something on sulphur. The sulphur makes it hard to control the catalytic conversion of toxic exhaust chemicals. Essentially, it limits catalytic converter processes and efficiency. It's also bad in its own right when you release it into the air after you burn it. Like, if you've ever smelled that rotten egg gas smell when a car saunters on past, that's a tangible aspect of the sulphur content, right? This is just another example of the federal government and the dipshits who run it, copping a reach around from industry lobby groups and throwing you and me in the electorate under the bus, like business first, people last. But in your engine, okay, operationally, sulphur in the fuel doesn't really matter, it's kind of okay. It's actually a pretty good lubricant for the high pressure common rail fuel pump. And yeah, it does contaminate oil somewhat, but if you service your car on time and use the right grade of oil, there's really no discernible impact on reliability. So, pro tip here, nobody's advocating for lower sulphur to improve engine reliability, because that's not the problem. They're doing it for emissions. There is no engine reliability dimension to the sulphur issue currently. The differential diagnosis type proof of that statement is clearly that there's no pandemic of 91 Ron sulphur-induced engine failures out there in traffic. Like, it's just not happening, okay? If there were, we would see clapped-out engines everywhere blowing copious blue smoke past their worn-out friggin' rings, right? And it's just not happening. So sulphur's not bad inside your engine. It's bad inside you. And in closing this report out, I'd suggest don't elicit technical advice from your average service advisor in a dealership. If you're lucky, right, he or she might have been 
a service technician earlier in their career. And if that's the case, they can certainly give you some great high caliber advice on the hands-on stuff, like using the jack, tightening the wheel nuts, checking the fluids, servicing frequency that suits your car, assessing the condition of the brakes, or I don't know, that vibration, what could it possibly be? Like that kind of stuff, they'd be good at that. But these people never went to engineering school, right? And the parent car maker certainly never calls them up for advice on combustion chemistry or to sign off on which fuel is actually better or worse for that car. It just doesn't happen, right? It's laughable when you think about it in those terms. These people are likely to be more opinionated on these issues than you, perhaps, but just as uninformed, right, on things of that nature, which actually do matter. And sadly, if you approach them to illuminate this or that in the technical domain, some of them, like not all of these people, but some of them, will invariably trowel on a nice thick layer of authoritative sounding bullshit to conceal the deficiencies in their knowledge and they're gonna hope that you just don't notice.